Every single company in the world right now claims that they are client-focused. This is different though. It's not just you need to interest about what your clients want. You need to understand what they want across multiple sectors. From McKinsey Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice, I'm Sean Brown, and welcome to Inside the Strategy Room. That was Miklos Dietz talking about just one challenge digital ecosystems bring. These vast economic communities, typically focused around digital platforms, are removing industry boundaries and rewriting the definition of what it means to understand your customer. But how do you profitably participate in these ecosystems? That's the subject of today's podcast. Miklos is a senior partner at McKinsey and the managing partner of our Vancouver office. He's also a leader in our strategy and corporate finance practice, as well as our global financial services practice. We offer today an edited recording of a discussion that Miklos led at a recent event for future CEOs, sharing a sneak peek of his new book, The Ecosystem Economy, publishing this October. And if you'd like to pre-order Miklos's new book, you can do so via the link that we're sharing in the show notes today. And now, here's Miklos. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, apologize in advance for the accent. <laughs> but this is a global topic. But very happy to have a conversation about this. We have been working on how to think about this new emerging economy for over 12 years now. Obviously, it first started in China and then it's kind of moved to some other emerging markets in Europe, uh, digitalization, but I think this topic is now fully global. So what I would do, if it makes sense, is let me start a little bit with the theory. We have now from over 150 successful and failing ecosystem builds, we start to have some understanding of not just what is the goal, but what works, what doesn't, why do people fail or succeed? So to start with, for most of human history, global economy has been organized across industries, sectors. And there are good reasons why these sectors have emerged ever since ancient Sumeria organized labor. The reasons are every type of different business, whether you are in car making or banking or technology, have a different type of distribution model, right? It has a different type of data set, it operates, it uses different systems, it has different supply chains. So it's kind of logical that you organize global economy across these. You're not organizing them because customers want them this way, right? It's not the customers never rose up in millions and said, we need an insurance sector, we need mortgage business. No. They needs may be different, but that was the way to deliver these services. Now, what we are arguing is that a pretty large part of the global economy, not all, but a pretty large, in a, for a pretty large part, which is the so-called distribution, B2C and B2B distribution part of global economy, around 60% of global GDP. This is changing. There are very fundamental technology reasons which are one by one breaking down those barriers which have separated sectors, right? Unique distribution, all those big physical branches or shops, they are going away when people are increasingly accessing more and more things digitally. Not necessarily. The argument is not, oh, everything will be digital from now on. We are not this type of stereoid enthusiast, but digital starts to play a bigger and bigger role for the whole influencing model. People are searching, looking up, and can actually get certain services end-to-end -end digitally in others, 
so much of the journey is digital that it ultimately drives the value, right? Unique data, which separated sectors, is also mainly gone. For example, banks for literally 3,000 years, banks existed because of the data monopoly. Well, we are the only people who know who are the guys who are playing by the loans and who are not. For over the last 10 years, though, the best predictive models for credit risks can, are done by non-banks. In China, average banks have a risk cost of 3 to 6% when it comes to unsecured loans, which is pretty normal globally. Tencent, which has an online bank, do, does this for 0.1% risk cost. It's not a little bit bigger. It enables them to be vastly superior. But this applies across other sectors, services, manufacturing. The third one is hardware revolution, especially cloud and other solutions. Telecom industry, other industries have invested tens of years, trillions globally, setting up these huge legacy systems, which can now frequently be replaced by smarter, smoother solutions for smart contracts to blockchain. And then even the supply chains themselves are kind of breaking down. Now, again, not necessary because of globalization, which is anyway a two-way street right now, but the easy, easy access to get new suppliers, the availability of data, the global marketplace is emerging, breaking down. So the argument is that almost everything which created these traditional industry sectors are mostly gone. And when these dams and these walls are breaking down, the dam is open, basically bursting because what it does, it immediately enables customers to get services very, very differently, right? And the moment you give customers, hey, you don't have to stick by these industry walls, it turns out they never wanted to do it anyway. Customers are very eager to get services and a new type of economy, which is orchestrated around their needs, right? And, you know, this is not a total change of everything what has happened. It is though a very substantial change at the very core of it, which is where the economic profit is. So rather than the very traditional sector offerings, we believe that technology enables this, customers demand it, right? You know, the moment customers get excited, technology gets even more excited. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, a positive spiral, fueled by VC money, fueled by immediate return capital market recognition. And the moment you get you know, a bump on your premium because you have an ecosystem solution, you will invest. And the moment you do that, even more customers get excited and suddenly you get to higher demographics. So we believe this leads to a reshaping of the economy. More, instead of more or less 88 classical distribution sectors, we believe that a bunch of bigger ones arise. And they arise across fundamental customer needs, whether it's individuals or institutional. Now, Examples of this have happened before, right? Supermarkets are a great example. Prior to supermarkets, you, you had your butcher, or maybe not your or parents or great parents probably, but they had their butchers, they had their you know, milk men delivering the milk, they had separately for vegetables, and then suddenly all, all of them appears in one place, and of course it's more comfortable. Customers love getting all of these things because it's not actually fun to go to four different places. So this happened before in human history. The only thing is that the speed at which they are happening is radically accelerated because digital enables building up these business models and therefore disrupting this much, much faster than before. So what is the shape of this new economy? So 
that there are some very fundamental human needs and there are some very fundamental institutional needs. And ecosystems seems to emerge when the two are meeting. For example, customers, they don't need mortgage or home insurance. They don't need a plumber. They need a home. That's the fundamental human need. The moment somebody starts to provide an integrated service here, which provides all your worries for home, that's actually awesome. Same applies for shopping. Or if you look at this, look at, for example, commerce. Everybody needs essential products. Ideally, the easier as possible. At the same time, every company needs customer access, right? That's like one of the most important natural need for businesses. You can connect the two together. And the moment you have an e-commerce marketplace, you have a trillion dollar company. So we believe that, and of course, we are not saying this is the and, and final and perfect answer, but it seems to be that there is a reason why business models, which we have seen emerging in the last 10 years, first in the most digital markets in the world and then slowly in, the, in North America too, they seem to follow this very different way of organizing the economy. Again, these are kind of big ecosystems. We also believe there is a bunch of niche ones from you know, elder care to immigrants to smart cities. So there are different ways, but what is common in most of them is that if you really try to serve fundamental customer needs, you end up in economy, which is a different shape. Rather than the traditional 88 sectors orchestrated around the world, each of them its own market share and its own different type of business model, you see is this multi-trillion dollar revenue pool and half trillion to, to one and a half trillion dollar profit pool, gigantic marketplaces. What we argue is increasingly where you are competing is not your sector, and what you are competing is not market share. You are competing against companies from very different sectors, traditional sectors. They have very different business models. They may have unfair advantages from regulatory, or they can just offer your products for free because you know, they can cross-finance it somewhere else. What you are really competing for is customer ownership. Ultimately, somebody will own the customers. Probably not one gigantic giga platform because regulators and politics and even data not require that, but maybe there are three, four options. Whoever owns the customer will own a disproportionately large part of the value chain. The statement is not that guys who own one of these businesses will own everything, but that if they own the customer, they actually own a very large part of the extra profit. And the weapon in this new world is data, quite obviously. But the argument is that the value of data is not just for the usual use cases every single company and all of you present are lo looking at today, or better customer service, info efficiency, product, but it's truly a weapon for a broader sense. You need to understand your customers whole behavior, not just in your sector. Now, we argue that global capital markets have already voted in this. If you compare the largest companies versus 10 years ago, you will see a pretty spectacular change in terms of how many of these companies are black, i.e. not classifiable to a simple sector. This is a pretty spectacular change. For the last 100 years, the biggest companies in the world were mainly in one sector, or sometimes they were conglomerates, which are great companies, but they are not really an integrated business model. They just happen to own a lot of businesses and have some synergies with people and maybe capital. Now, this is different. In fact, if you look at, in almost all traditional sectors, even the traditional sector leaders 
are now building ecosystems. Lego, with all its uh, movies, leading telcos, Pingan, the insurance company in China, they just built these ecosystems for 450 million active users and boom, suddenly they got like 100 billion market cap. So even in very traditional industries, not just a tech story, if you really want to succeed in this global business model, it seems that you get capital market support, which also creates a bit of self-fulfilling prophecy. But the truth is, if all global investors jointly throw trillions of dollars annually on this, it's going to happen. If it starts to happen, some customers will catch up some others. Now, what does this mean? What we argue is that you probably need to rethink your business model in the medium to long run. Not to throw away what you are doing today, but you also need to consider, do you have a business model which works in a universe when you are competing against other sectors? You need to think about it defensively. Can you own your customers if somebody comes in and disintermediates you? It shifts the world very, very quickly. So the solution, you need to probably try to A, defend your business against disintermediation, disaggregation, commoditization, and invisibility, the four horsemen of apocalypse in the ecosystem economy. And you can be offensive, which means, hey, if you are doing this anyway, if you start to think about your customers, not just your sector of customers, but end-to-end -end customer journeys, you can go into other sectors. There are plenty of companies that I mentioned some in the previous one, who started in insurance or toy making or telecom and now make tremendous value. By the way, usually they actually get the market valuation much faster up than actual revenue. So some of these guys make maybe 10, 15% revenues from other sources, but the capital markets seem to be eager to give all the rewards. Now, we have been following over 100 players now. Uh, and the truth is, it's not easy. Right? If you look at incumbent players trying to reinvent their business model in a sector, it's very hard. We have found that around half of those who tried, though, got some value out of it. Usually not earth-shattering. 50% of our revenues are coming from somewhere else, but, you know, a little bit lower churn, better customer value, a little bit more margins, and a continuous improvement of multiples. And around 16% now seem to suggest that there is a path for traditional incumbent businesses, at least one in six, who were really able to get meaningfully different economic model out of this. So this is interesting. If we really try to zoom in what these new business model building by traditional businesses tested out, it boils down to one very important learning, which is you need to have a meaningful quantum leap of customer experience. It's not enough to do a bunch of stuff into an app, which so many companies have tried, especially in Europe. First reaction, oh, we will do an ecosystem. We already have customers, so we will just have like five different services on an app and we roll it out and we fail miserably. So clearly it doesn't work this way. It needs to be, you need to create a value proposition which is so meaningfully different that people are willing to change behavior. And that needs to reach a certain threshold of experience. And that probably needs some kind of segmentation. Now, it turns out that the issue, if we dig into the many, many unsuccessful examples, funnily enough, is not lack of ideas. In almost every industry right now, there are industries we actually have a database of ecosystem ideas. It's like 5,000. These are usually copyable businesses, especially if you are in the US. You can literally go out and see how Swedish, Israeli, or Japanese companies failed and or succeeded, and you can just copy it and goodbye. 
they usually fail because of governance. They have the ideas. Most organizations have, even with this crazy war for talent, but you have enough ideas. But the ultimate issue is how to uh, build the governance. First and foremost, can you actually move people into your organization so you can help here? Because the truth is you may have the best bankers or you may have the best manufacturers or the best designers or the best car makers in your company, but do you have people who are who can think about the end-to-end -end customer journey. If a bank wants to succeed, just again, in the future, you will not sell, be able to sell credit cards, really, unless you have an end-to-end e-commerce experience with coupons, vouchers, location-based services, loyalty program, and so on, right? Because increasingly, that's, people don't want credit cards, they want to buy products, right? How do you do that? Well, A, you can ask your bankers, who have been bankers for 20 years, to, can you please reimagine everything you have ever done? Or B, you need to bring in people who have an entirely different type of thinking, right? But if you bring them in, you have to give them a home. Because if you bring a bunch of commerce geniuses into a bank, or a bunch of healthcare super experts into an insurance company, or a bunch of mobility geniuses into a, a car manufacturer, what you will end up is they will die in the sea of traditional model. To find this home is a tricky one make them too close to the matrix, and the matrix will stifle innovation, make them too far, and they will have no bridges, they will have no ability. Finding this Goldilocks zone is literally the harder thing, and also, of course, the incentive, the role, the role modeling, and so on. This is literally the number one failing mode. And then, of course, the third thing, which is such a big learning, actually measuring the impact here, because there are, again, the same way as there are two ways to fail here, too close or too far, there's also two other ways to kill eco these ecosystem ideas. Force them to try to deliver some EBITDA result too early, right? Kind of measure them as a traditional business building when indeed they are about customer ownership is a mistake. But letting them go and say, hey, just dream, it's all about clicks and customer ownership and blah, blah, blah also obviously fails. Again, another area when a Goldilocks zone needs to be found. And the truth is what we find it's very few, it's a lot of companies struggle finding this too. Those who get this too right, or at least mo moderately right though, get tremendous reward because again, the market is not stupid. They don't want you to turn into Amazon tomorrow. They want you to see future-proof business models. If you have evidence of future-proof business model, even if it's just a couple of extra value proposition, we start to see comparable multiples visibly shifting. To, to close this all, and then hopefully turn it into a conversation. Let us share with you our five biggest learning on the what and on the how so far, connecting a little bit to what I already said. First and foremost, client perspective. Every single company in the world right now claims that they are client focused. This is different though. It's not just you need to interest about what your clients want, but also you recognize that you need to understand what they want across multiple sectors. For every customer survey you do, which asks about your product versus other products in the industry, is a wasted opportunity to actually ask these questions across, hey, what is your ultimate journey? What do you actually want? What are your pain points? It's a lot of mus new muscle from marketing, a lot of new muscle from sales, a lot of new muscle for people to think about that. Moving for the future business model, again, no view statements, but a tricky one. It's what we have seen is very frequently, people are looking at, oh my God, Amazon or Alibaba is killing us. Let's just copy what they do, but you will ultimately be always two, three years late behind them. Uh, jumping ahead is very important, which requires 
part of your organization. It can be a tiny part, but a part of your organization which spends enormous time thinking about not the future of your industry, but the future of all other <laughs> industries and how they connect into this, right? Segmentation, extremely important. Most other ecosystems, they usually start slice by slice, segment by segment. Trying to segment it in a smart way, which is probably not the way your industry traditionally segments, but probably it's a different segmentation across fundamental needs. Zooming into them and understanding what are the one or two pain points and finding one or two segments you can move. Some of the best ecosystem building, for example, focuses on the elderly. They have an absolutely different need. They don't need flashes sexy technology, but integrate for them long-term care, home care, virtual uh, health, remote health, maybe reverse mortgage, maybe other so services. Suddenly you have a tremendous opportunity, right? So it's not necessarily the obvious segment. Uh, one of the most successful ecosystem built recently, we have seen both in Asia and in Europe, are immigrant ecosystem. Go for a group of people who speak the same language and typically move in large numbers. Give them end-to-end -end services. Then, of course, this one is obvious, but... The problem with any type of new innovation of this scale, people don't know what they don't know, right? To understand their frustration, you don't expect that if you go to a focus group and show them an integrated service, they will say, wow, we want that, right? And usually you get surprised. And then the final point is, which I already mentioned, starting with a very strong anchor. Because the best way to kill this idea is get the whole board excited, invest money, have a nice effort, come up with a few very proposition and all of them die in the first round and say, you see, it was a bad idea. Really important to have this very first anchor so actually people really move. So these are the five learnings on the what you are doing. And finally, the five learnings on the how. As I mentioned already, the number one organizational Goldilocks zone. Not too far, not too close. I know it's very hard, the other Goldilocks zone uh, we mentioned was also the collaboration, right? The, to measure the right targets, short-term and long-term. The second one, life cycle management. By the way, for this, you also need to keep different type of talent. So the typical challenge for organizations is to keep high flyers, right? You bring in young, very talented people. They are 25, 30, especially millennials, Gen Z. They want to take over the planet in the next five years. Oh, I'm not CEO yet, and I already here for two years. Come on. Give me at least a board position. <laughs> this is, this is uh, the trick is, okay, we give you opportunities here. You can manage a portfolio of ideas. If something builds up, you can be the CEO of a JV. You can actually move a lot of highly talented people, give them the opportunity. Of course, you know, fail, fail fast. You can try again, maybe not multiple times, but enough that, you know, chance. It's actually a great way to grow talent. Uh, but then you have to create a life cycle management of this. And it's also very important that the KPIs we need to evolve. At the beginning, prove me. First, prove me that you are relevant. Prove me that your customers are using you. Then prove me that you get some kind of revenue. Then eventually profitability. Then eventually scalability. Buy and build, an obvious one. But it is, again, an extremely hard exercise. Because here's the thing. Those big cross-industrial ideas are already probably out there. It's probably companies who are one fiftieth of your size, but they have 10x the multiple, realistically. So what do you do? Do you buy them and destroy tremendous value? Yes, and there are some great examples for that, but it's a really, really hard pill to swallow. Can you build something or then buy them? One of the art solutions here, and again, this is a very important capital market exercise, is to try, if you feel that you need to buy, 
try to also think about spin-offs and divestment. And then the final one is quite obvious. A little bit of humility is needed. Everybody wants to own these customers. There is an enormous warfare going in, which means that most likely you will not succeed in all. And it's very, very important to recognize. You may try, but also accept. Sometimes just be a modest participant in an ecosystem, just you know, owning a little piece of control, one chakra point in these customer journeys. That's enough. At this point, Miklos took some questions from the audience. One participant asked whether the geopolitical volatility increasing regulations and concerns around privacy will end up reducing the free flow of ideas, data, labor, and capital, and contribute to slowing down the shift to digital ecosystems. I think it reshapes a little bit, not how customers will experience the world, but who, who will win. It changes a little bit who will win. It does two things. A, it makes visibly harder for gigantic tech platforms from China or even the US to easily go into other markets and say, because it becomes a question of economic sovereignty. This is a major question for, <laughs> for economy because whoever rules, for example, the algorithm which decides which SME gets connected to which customer ultimately owns the whole economy of that country. And then, but it doesn't mean this will not happen. It just likely there will less be automatic global winners everywhere and probably more, there will be national or even regional uh, type of players. We are expecting a more fragmented outcome. I would say it's actually good for competition. The other part is data and privacy. That's a huge question. One of the biggest levers of uncertainty, is data the new oil or the new water? I, is this some kind of proprietary unique asset, in which case the winners in customer ownership are the biggest guys who are already highly valued and so on, or is data more like the new water, a very powerful, most important thing for life, but it constantly gets recirculated and everybody can access to this. And we see very visibly that most geographies in the world are moving to the second direction, i.e. not just open banking, but European Union trying to open up more. And by the way, expectation is also, it's enough if one geography starts to open it up, the rest tends to follow. So this is almost like a regulatory competition. Another audience member wondered whether the vast investment required to dominate a digital ecosystem will eventually spell the demise of small and mid-sized businesses. So we kind of thought that 10 years ago, <laughs> that was the initial hypothesis, simply because there was this concept of economies of enormous economies of scale, not just with data, but what is even more powerful is that AI. AI level is insane, right? There, you know, you, you have to struggle to find the right level of exponential curves to get that. And also network effect, right? For example, payment solutions. It's a classical network effect. If I'm using the payment, everybody else I know I have to use it. Oh, suddenly it's connected. It seems, to be, it seems to be not the case, though. And the reasons are, A, it's far less of a technology issue, as people saw. There is a large part of technology investment, but far more of it is connected to business model. It turns out that most customers, Yes, in 2035 or 2040, probably you will have to integrate Web 4.0 and it's going to be wonderful. But for the next five to 10 years, to you to create economic value, all you need to do is some differentiation of your customer journey before and after you, your industry would normally come into the journey. And for that, that's more governance, it's more management attention. Than, and the second reason is cloud. In almost every industry we see now, cloud players, who are big democratizers because they have 
variable cost models rather than fixed cost models. And in fact, we find that the players who were a little bit early movers are now struggling because they reaction. So it's not hopeless. Now, having said that, there is one issue which I do mention, which is talent. This is the tricky part. So I think there is still economies of scale simply because the largest companies will have the smartest people, and this is insanely talent-driven. If you, there is a very small percentage of people who can really think cross-industrial and cross-sectoral, and they will more likely end up in a big company with awesome upside than the small. Miklos was also asked what kinds of inflection points might speed up the shift to digital ecosystems or pivot their evolution in a different direction. I think for sure data. Again, I don't think data fundamentally changes it because I think what we are arguing is ultimately economy orchestrated on customer needs. I think it will happen one way or another. But I think data, the data is a very major question, right? If a very different type of data utility happen, I would argue it's probably more accelerating because it will create this bunch of startups who can easier get access to big data company, big tech companies' uh, data. And that will be, you will see even more 20-something-year-old billionaires running around. And I think another, there is a very, very important question about privacy, but I don't think privacy changes there. It's just, I think in certain of these ones, there are big questions, like healthcare, for example. There is a unquestionably major things. The public sector ecosystem, which is both community and government, public sector ecosystem is obviously heavily different. So there are certain categories here when there are sectoral specifics. The true uncertainties are there. The final question came from an audience member who noted the current prevalence of business to consumer ecosystems. And she wanted Miklos's perspective on how business-to-business companies would need to adapt their processes and decision-making to effectively participate in digital ecosystems. So first and foremost, we argue that the B2B ecosystem story is at least the same scale as the B2C. So there are already great examples in certain sectors. I mean, Japanese manufacturers build enormous marketplaces, mainly for themselves, but still cutting across multiple sector services, supply, uh, telecom players are trying to do this. Payment companies, interestingly in Brazil, for example, where for some reason payment companies have moved us. So I think this is absolutely happening. Now, you were really right on core point, which is where they struggle is they don't have this magic bang type of curves. It's the challenge with pure B2B is that most businesses are very traditional you need to bring them very disproportionate value proposition. And most players who are cracking this, they are cracking this vertically, not horizontally. Most very successful ones, they could just go after one sector. I think the end game is the same. I think it is just a universe when you don't get 21 year olds will get trillions, it's gonna be well, billions, it's gonna be more like established companies will making billions over a longer period. But ultimately, institutional needs are as deep and that's, you know, I guess, individual needs, right? I need to get my access to talent. I need, so there will be a talent ecosystem somewhere at the surface stage. I need to, get, to find as much inputs as I get. So there will be a marketplace, especially because other companies are selling to them, right? So they get interconnected. So I think, I think they will happen. What is also important is the recognition is that you are not selling an ecosystem to an organization. You are selling it to one person. Right? And this is sometimes what people they try to sell to the CEO, but the CEO doesn't really care. You have to sell it to the person who has the big need. 
Sometimes some players have the bottom-up approach. Here I just create this very easy app, which makes it very easy for your account receivable people. But then the head of department will start to use it. And then slowly the CFO starts to hear, oh, we can't live without this. And the other approach is, of course, the top-down. I, I mean, I, I admit it's tricky. I admit it's tricky. We just see companies doing it and succeeding with it, maybe less spectacularly, but quite rewarding. Thank you to everyone for joining us for this podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. You can find transcripts of our past discussions on the Inside the Strategy Room podcast collection page at mckinsey.com slash ITSR, where you can also easily explore our library of more than 120 previous episodes. If you'd like to share feedback or an idea for a future podcast, please email us at insidethestrategyroom at mckinsey.com. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe and to please rate and review our series. Finally, if you'd like to receive alerts on our latest insights, you can sign up on our podcast collection page on mckinsey.com slash ITSR, follow us on Twitter at MCK Strategy, or connect with us on LinkedIn on the McKinsey Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice page. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to having you join us again soon inside the Strategy Room.